She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode four. Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. Before we begin, we want to give a warning that this episode includes discussions and the aftermath of suicide. Originally, we thought about maybe not putting it on the episode as a warning. I am honestly probably the more fragile as far as mental health goes of the two of us. And I watched the episode and it was fine. didn't have any problem with it. But as you will hear during our discussion, um, things got a little raw. And afterwards, we realized that we really need to uh, put a warning on this episode. So, yeah, it was sort of like a because, you know, well, I mean, it's just saying it's a spoiler is a spoiler. But because of, you know, yeah. events in the episode, we didn't want to be like, oh, spoiler. But at the same time, it is one of those topics where if you're not in the right headspace for it right now or it's just not something you ever want to listen to. Just we want you to know that so you can go in and be warned. So if it's not your thing or if you just can't do it right now and you want to come back to it or if you just want to skip this episode entirely, just be aware that there is discussion of suicide. Yeah, it's a 26 year old episode at this point. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about it. You've probably seen it. Probably, (laughs) but you never know. (laughs) We watched it. No problem. And then when we were discussing it, things got a little rough. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's not a fun topic. So, yeah, it yeah. can be hard. But anyway, we understand completely. Yeah. So take care. And if you listen, I hope you enjoy the episode. Absolutely. This episode originally aired on October 13th, 1995, which was a Friday the 13th. <laughs> and it was written by Darren Morgan and directed by David Nutter. It was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and it had a viewership of 15.38 million, which is down slightly from the previous episode by less than 200,000 viewers. So it did dip a little bit, but not a huge loss in viewers after DPO. Yeah. So pretty much flat almost, I guess you could probably say. Yeah. Don't know why I even put those notes in there, but I did. So, hey, you know, (laughs) I write this part, folks. Anyway, in this episode, in what seems like kind of a paradox... Someone is murdering fortune tellers. You think they would see that. But anyway, the police are desperate and happy to have the FBI's help. But they also call in a psychic who Mulder thinks is a fake. Scully obviously agrees. But when a man named Clyde Brookman finds the body of one of the victims and seems to know more about the case than has been public, Mulder believes that Brookman is a real psychic and can help them stop the killer. Or he could be the killer just saying we don't know so anyway we open and clyde brookman he is reading predictions off of a tabloid magazine the midnight inquisitor and he's like one's about jd salinger releasing a new novel and he gets to one about buddy holly being alive playing at Lollapalooza. and he can't actually pronounce Lollapalooza. and he asks what Lollapalooza is and the clerk asks who buddy holly is which is a joke, but also the clerk is about almost the same age as Clyde Brookman, so he would probably know who Buddy Holly is. But anyway, <laughs> they should have cast that a little better and made it like a kid, right? Anyway, Clyde buys a lottery ticket and a fifth of whiskey, and he adds on a copy of The Midnight Inquisitor. And then as he leaves a convenience store, we get the screen tag 
that says we are in St. Paul in Minnesota and it's September 16th. So Clyde's humming to himself and looking at his lotto ticket. And as he does that, he almost runs into this man on the street and they kind of do that little dance, right? Like they both move to the left, they both Mm -hmm. move to the right. And then finally they get out of each other's way and Clyde's like, sorry. And the other man's like, don't apologize. You're a better dancer than my last date. Um, this is written by Darren Morgan, by the way, in case you haven't figured that out, because we've already gotten like a bunch of jokes and we're barely in the teaser. So this other man goes into a psychic palm reader's office near the liquor store. And the psychic is Madame Zelma. And she asks, what's brought him here? He asks if she can tell him everything about him just by looking at his hands. She says, palms tell all. So he asks her why he's going to be doing the things he's going to be doing. And Zelma says she's a palm reader, not a psychologist. <laughs> <sighs> okay, got to get through this. But honestly, the <laughs> I, teaser is probably the worst of all these jokes in here. Yeah, and so, I love it. I think it's great, but I can see just, how it does like, get like, very... Like, show some freaking restraint. Jeez. I mean... Oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> Go write comedies or something. Gee, many Christmas. <laughs> well, he is. He's writing anyway. X-Files comedy. <laughs> anyway, he says he thinks he's caught a glimpse of his own future. And he sees himself doing things that seem out of character for him. Things he not only doesn't want to do, but that he can't even believe he's capable of doing. As he talks, he's squeezing Manazelma's hands and she's like, stop, you're hurting me. And he's like, I know, and I'm sorry, but you're a fortune teller and you should have seen this coming. And then he just leaps over the table, knocks crystal ball on the floor. And in the crystal ball, we can see he's like, he's killing her. Yeah. And then we get the theme song. Yep. So (laughs) a lot happens in that little opening. Clyde Bruckman is played by Peter Boyle, and he was known for being the monster in Young Frankenstein. And also he played the father in Everybody Loves Raymond. He had other roles as well, but those are the two that he was really famous for. He was also at the X-Files convention in 1996, where I met him and got his autograph. And he was he was a nice guy. Seemed funny. I think he gave a little bit of a talk, but I don't really remember much about what he talked about. I think mostly he just kind of answered questions about what filming the episode was like and stuff like that. So it was interesting. It was great to be able to see him. He did sadly pass away in 2006. And Stu Charno, who plays the other man, the one who kills Madame Zelma, was married to Sarah Charno, who wrote Aubrey and the Kalashari. He also has some other acting credits. He played a vampire in Once Bitten, which is relevant to my interests. And he was also in Chicago Hope, MASH, Dave's World, and a couple other shows. So he's done some acting. And then he was on this episode of The X-Files. Kind of a weird looking dude. Not just people on their looks, but he's kind of a weird looking dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a weird looking person too. So I think that's sometimes you need. I mean, like that's that's the tricky part about Hollywood, right? Like they want to no, I'm not, look, so I'm not saying but... I'm just, just he's, yeah, he's just got that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm need. I'm dashingly handsome, so of course I judge people on how they look, but you, know, <laughs> you need someone who looks a little different than everyone else. So then we're in North Minneapolis and it's three days later, so possibly September 19th, which is also talk like a pirate day. Yes, yeah, which is weird. They go with the three days later instead of because then later they do the date again. Yeah. I was like, I, why don't they just use the date? there's not a lot of consistency with there i mean this is true for every x-files episode i feel like they don't have like a great record they do actually i'll I'll grant them though they actually do seem to not mess the dates up in this one so that's good yeah 
So we're at a crime scene and a police photographer is taking a photo of two eyeballs with some entrails that are laid out on a lace table. Well, the table's not lace. The table's covered in lace. And he says, they say the eyeballs are the record to the thing a person sees when they die. And Detective Klein is behind him and he's like, what do they say about entrails? And the photographer is just like, yuck. And the other detective, Detective Havez, leans in and asks Klein if it's true that he asked for help on this case. And Klein's like, this guy is supposed to be an expert at this sort of thing. And Havez is like, I heard this guy was kind of unorthodox. And Klein's like, he's highly recommended. And Havez is like, I saw him on TV. So like, kind of like, I don't know. And Klein agrees that he might be a publicity hound, but he gets results. And the photographer comes over and says he worked on a case he did. He was very spooky. And Klein's like, I don't care as long as he gives us a lead. I don't care how big a kook. And then, of course, Mulder walks in. And obviously, for a second, we're supposed to believe that Mulder is like this spooky kook they were talking about, right? He is a spooky kook you're talking about, isn't he? No. Oh. So Klein's like, who the hell are you? And Mulder introduces himself and Scully and she comes in behind him. She flashes her badge and Klein's like, oh, right. I forgot the FBI was coming aboard. And Havez tells them they think the suspect might be a Satanist. But Mulder says Satanists usually take the eyeballs and leave the body. And Klein is like, so what? He's gouging eyeballs for no good reason. And Scully's like, nobody does anything without a reason. And so she hands him a folder and she tells him, They've already worked up a profile on the killer, including possible explanations for the nature of the attacks and the choice of victims. And Klein is like, in the entrails? And Mulder says it's anthropomancy. It was once believed you could divine your future by vivisecting a human being and studying the entrails. And Havez is like, what? So Yeah, so one thing that got me in this scene, so they're all wearing gloves, and when Scully and Mulder walk in, like they hand them gloves. Mulder's putting his gloves on like a good dude. And Klein is like writing in his notepad and he's wearing gloves. And then when Scully hands him the file, doesn't have gloves on. They're super bad at continuity, but it bugged me. Especially because they zoom in on it and you're like, he doesn't have gloves on. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You know me. Maybe he took them off. I, I don't think was... so. <laughs> Sorry, your in-universe explanations are not going to work. That's how my brain works. I'm like, well, maybe he took them off because he was. No, they messed up. It's just, that's how that's how it works. They messed up. Yeah. No, I'm it not. It doesn't have anything to do with the you. plot. It's not like it's not like a big plot hole. It's just like, uh, the people making the show messed up. So yeah, they do that sometimes. So Scully says there's a possible connection since all the victims are prognosticators, and Klein says this victim was a professional doll collector, and Mulder says she was also an amateur tossiographer. She reads tea leaves. And Klein asks if Mulder believes in this stuff. And Mulder says he's not convinced of its accuracy, but he's pretty sure the victim was. Her leaves were telling her she was about to be murdered. So, like, he picks up her cup that was, like, on the table, and he shows in the bottom of the cup with the tea leaves in the bottom. So, apparently Mulder can read tea leaves, which I guess it's a good skill to have. We'll talk about that later. Okay. So, then a crowd enters the hallway because they had left the door open when Mulder and Scully came in. And there's a crowd in the hallway and there's this man in sunglasses and he's wearing his top coat like a cloak. And then he's got like a bunch of fans. They've got headshots. They're like, oh, there's people flashing cameras. And 
Among the crowd is also the man that we saw kill the fortune teller in the teaser. Mm. So the police keep the crowd back in the hall, but the man who we find out is the stupendous Yappy, he and his beautiful assistant come in. Yappy takes off his sunglasses, and his assistant removes his coat, and the police photographer, obviously a fan, runs over and takes a photo of him with the police photographer camera, and then climbs like, we appreciate you coming down. And Yappy like holds up a hand, and he asks for quiet. He says he's having visions of the killer. He doesn't feel like he's control of his own life. That's why he kills, it's very important. Nieves asked if Yappy can see what he looks like. Yappy says he's a white man with facial hair or not. Hmm. But he has a tattoo somewhere on his body. Maybe the tattoo has facial hair, I think. And then Mulder and Scully are like, uh-huh. <laughs> They're just like you know. And then Yappy zeroes in on this spot on the carpet that's on the floor, this rug, white and pink and blue rug. And he drops to the floor. And he says he sees the killer forcing himself there on a girl, but he can't perform. So he's taking out his rage. And then he slaps the rug and he sits up. And he's like, it's gone. I've lost the vision. And he's like, I'm picking up negative energy from someone that's blocking me. He turns and he looks directly at Scully. He walks over to her and like totally gets up in her face. And she's actually kind of like, Moving her head back because he gets so close. Uh-huh. But then he turns and he looks at Mulder instead. He tells Mulder to leave the room because he's giving off negative energy. And Mulder's like, I assure you, I believe in psychic ability. And Yappy's like, you say so with your mouth, but your thoughts tell me the truth. And so Klein's like, hey, Mulder, can you like leave? And so Scully leans into Mulder and she's like, I can't take you anywhere. So Mulder has to go. Yeah, Mulder has to go out in the hall. I thought it was cute that Mulder's the one blocking the psychic energy. I thought that was funny. It was a good little twist because obviously you expect you assume that there's psychic energy for him to block. Well, I mean, I don't think there really is, but you know what I mean? Like that Mulder's the one who's accused of blocking the psychic energy. And it's because it does look like he's going to be, you know, Scully is the skeptic. And so we expect her to be the one that he's, you know, going after. And then it's not. So I thought that was funny. And also Scully's little tease was funny too. (laughs) So outside in the hall, Mulder's standing outside the crime scene door and he hears applause and the door opens and Yappy comes out and like we hear him thank everyone, but he has to go. He has an interview. And then as he's leaving, he stops to tell Mulder that skeptics like him make him sick. And Mulder's like, read this thought and like thinks in his direction. And Yappy like looks horrified and he's like, so is your old man and he like walks off followed by his assistant which, rude I mean, Mulder's old man is dead dude <laughs> i mean rude. he's not, not really psychic so he probably doesn't really know that but yeah. up. maybe he was like go to hell and he's like so is your old man because this old man's in hell for being a bad guy doing aliens maybe stuff. yeah I and mean, we don't really know what Mulder was thinking i mean i, I don't think yeah he did either but yeah yeah so Mulder heads back inside and Scully says it's a shame about the negative energy. Mulder missed quite a performance and Klein holds up this bent broken pen and is like, look what he did to my pen. And Mulder says, allow me to impress you with my psychic ability. Yappy told them that the victim's body would be found near water. He saw a church or school in the vicinity and he got a flash of the letter S and or the number seven. And Klein like is like, yeah, so what's your point? 
And Mulder says his leads are so vague that they're useless, but they can be interpreted as correct after the fact. And Scully points out that Yappy's line about the killer feeling out of control about his own life is basically true of everyone at times. And Klein's like, he said a lot of other things. To which Mulder replies that percentage-wise, some will be true, most will be wrong. And Klein's like, all he knows is that Yappy has provided them with more solid leads than they have, and now he has to go get an APB out on a white male, 17 to 34, with maybe a beard, maybe a tattoo, who might be impotent. So Clyde and Havez leave, and Scully's like, we might as well go home, case is as good as solved. And I mean, I'm personally fascinated by cold reading techniques and how quote-unquote psychics convince people they're psychics. And Mulder's pretty much spot on that, like, percentage-wise, he's bound to get some hits. But the hits tend to be more remembered than the misses with psychic stuff. So that's why people, like, if you go to a psychic reading, you're more likely to remember the stuff that they said that felt true to you than, like, all the stuff they said that absolutely didn't. There is a book that I read years ago called Psychic Blues, Confessions of a Conflicted Medium by Mark Edwards. Mark Edwards was also on Adam Ruins Everything. He was on Penn and Teller's Bullshit, and he was on, I think he was on Bullshit. He was on the podcast Ono, Russ, and Carrie. I do think it's a good book that talks about cold reading and hot reading and different, like, how the psychic phone networks used to work and also, like, how psychics are able to take information that you give them without really thinking about it and make you feel like they know something about you that you shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to know. I did recently, after I watched this episode, I reread it and he is kind of condescending and like he's fat phobic a little bit. So there's some fat phobia in there. And there's definitely some like classism going on where he like talks about how, oh, psychics, they, they look down on these people that they swindle. But then like he talks about people who go to psychics for help in like really derogatory ways and stuff. So might not be the book for you. It does have a lot of interesting information about that stuff, but just be warned that like he can be a little abrasive and a little judgmental <laughs> in the way that he tells the story. So yeah, well, I mean, like you know, James the Amazing Randy did a lot of that stuff. Obviously, Penn and Teller do some of that stuff. Yes, Joe Nickel does some of that stuff too. Although yeah. Joe Nickel tends to focus more on the paranormal, but he does some psychic stuff too. He'll talk about like cold reading that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, there's a lot uh, of because there's a lot of overlap with that. Like with the, you know, like the like the spirit wrapping and all that kind of stuff. It's all kind of related. There's like a it's like a a sliding scale spectrum, if you will, of like where you're gonna fall on the paranormal range. So yeah, yeah. So there are other sources available. There yeah. are a lot of other sources. There are a lot of not your bag. And Oh No, Ross and Carrie is a good podcast. They do talk about that a lot because they go see psychics and stuff. So if you're interested in that, they have a lot of episodes on that topic as well. And the stupendous Yappy is played by Yap Broker, who was Mulder's stand-in on the X-Files. And this role was actually written specifically for him. And a stand-in is someone who stands in for the actor during like lighting setups or blocking if the actor can't be on set or so the actor doesn't have to be on set and can learn their lines while they set up the stuff. He will also appear as the same character in another season three episode, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. And he's done lots of work as a stand-in, including on Millennium and Supernatural. Hmm. But the character returns in, Jose Chung is like, what, 20 or something, I think, somewhere in there? Yeah, it's so towards the end season. of season three. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't know the dude. He's either a super good actor or he's irritating as hell because I mean, I mean, that's why he's normally a stand-in because ooh, he was just I think he is probably supposed to be based on like Yuri Geller. I don't know if with the accent and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he does do the Yuri Geller's frauds or 
different than that but um he does have the he did bend his pin so you know but yeah he seems he seems very yuri gellerish yeah yeah it's definitely a role that's meant to be like over the top and irritating and very like i'm correct and i know everything and you know yeah 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 so then we see clyde bruckman again and we find out that he's actually an insurance salesman because he's sitting at a kitchen table with a young couple and he's telling them about the cost of a life insurance plan. So he's giving them all the details. Right. And the man says like, I think it was like $2,400 or something like that a month, which is kind of a lot, especially like in 1995. Anyway, uh, the man says they were kind of hoping to buy a boat. And Clyde points out that as a young husband, his obligation to his family should come first. The man's like, it's a really good boat. (laughs) Then Clyde is like, you really don't get it. Do you kid? And then his eyelids kind of start to flutter a little bit. And then we focus on his face as he's talking. And he says, two years from now, driving down Route 91, coming home to your wife and baby daughter, you're going to be hit head on by a drunk driving a blue 87 Mustang. You'll end up looking worse than the 60 feet of bad road your body slides across as you fly out of your front windshield. The man is kind of like, you really need to work on your closing technique. So... Yeah, he is understandably kind of pissed off about that. Yeah. The little um, joke at the end with the closing technique, eh, could have done without that. But this is a really good scene. I like the scene. because It is. It focuses on Peter Boyle, and like it's just like him saying all the stuff. You start, you feel it. So. You do. Yeah, I mean, I'm basic as heck, but I definitely got chills. I got like little goosebumps during the scene. So I thought it was really, really good. Peter yeah. Boyle does a really good job. Yeah. The husband... <laughs> it's not him and i don't know why i think it is but like he, he just reminds me of baron zemo from the mcu <laughs> so yeah the actor oh obviously God. not baron zemo is not a real person but like the dude who plays him who's yeah at the moment oh it's got God, that kind of vibe so from good. him i don't know if it's the way he spoke or just maybe something about his face but yeah i just kind of got I that can vibe see from that. Him. yeah yeah he's so good oh my god I love his little dance, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, see, I haven't seen Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh yet, God, so. he's so good. Yeah. Anyway, he's great. Yeah. So <sighs> then uh, Clyde goes home to his apartment. He pours himself a glass of whiskey, probably from the fifth of whiskey that he bought at the convenience store. Um, oh, it would be so nice to buy hard liquor at the convenience store. Can't do that in Oregon. Anyway, so pours himself a glass of whiskey on the rocks and then examines the contents of his fridge. And he grabs his bag of lettuce. It looks totally gross and then as he's getting ready to throw it away it turns into a human head and then he drops it in the garbage Mm -hmm. so then he's at the neighbor's door and he's like taking out his trash so he stops at his neighbors and he tells mrs lowe that he doesn't want her lighter he wants her garbage because she's like an older woman she's clearly not all there entirely and so she she's like oh okay and an adorable little dog sits near the door And Clyde sees this vision of the dog eating a corpse. And he's like, get out of here. And Mrs. Lowe comes back and she hands him her trash. And he's like, is everything all right, Mrs. Lowe? Do you have enough supplies? Have enough dog food? And she shuts the door. So she doesn't seem to be totally with it. Like she doesn't respond or anything. So Clyde takes the bags back out to the dumpster. And then when he's putting the trash in the dumpster, he sees something. and He's just like, oh, God. And then it cuts. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Did you know what was going on with the dog eating the corpse? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because the corpse is wearing the same robe that Mrs. Lowe is wearing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, it's 
Okay. Pretty, okay. yeah. Which is why he asked her if she has enough dog food. Exactly, Probably. yeah. And maybe yeah. you should put a bowl out tonight, maybe. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was just, I was just wondering. Because you said a corpse instead of her corpse. So. Well, yeah, I mean, because he, yeah, he kind of flashes. Anyway, yes, it is her corpse. Yeah. Then we cut, and we see Madame Zelma's hand sticking out of the dumpster. And Klein says that Yappy said the first victim's body would be dumped somewhere. And here it is in a dumpster. <laughs> and Mulder's like, oh, yeah, I've got chills being like super sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And Scully's looking at the onlookers and looking around. And again, amongst the onlookers is the guy that we saw kill Madame Zelma. Mm-hmm. And then she asks who found the body. So then we cut to Clyde and he's sitting in his recliner and he's eating a candy bar. And Scully says, according to the police report, Clyde didn't touch the body after he found her. And Clyde reasonably is like, why would I want to? And Scully says he reported that he found a body with the eyes cut out, but the body was face down. If Clyde didn't move it, how could he possibly have known that? And he's just like, well, they were, weren't they? And she nods and he asks, well, what are you complaining about? And Mulder asks how the eyes were cut out. And Clyde says, by a piece of crystal ball, of all things. And Mulder says they did find shards of crystal on the body. But how does Clyde know they were from a crystal ball? And Clyde's like, well, it just figures. If someone's going to kill a fortune teller, he's obviously going to assault them with their own crystal ball and use the shattered pieces as a lance. And Scully asks how much he's heard about the recent slayings in town. And Clyde's like, well, there's some nut going around killing fortune tellers and ripping their eyes and entrails out. And Scully's like, uh, how do you know about the entrails? That detail hasn't been released to the press. And Clyde gets up and he says he never reads the papers. Too depressing. And Mulder apologizes and he says he's going to have to ask Clyde to come with them. Oh. Yeah, not good. You know too much, no. buddy. You know too much. That's right. You know too much. So we see this dark room and Mulder opens the door and we see Clyde in the doorway and Mulder tells Clyde to enter. And Clyde is like, what's this all about? And then Mulder comes in. He says, someone was murdered in this apartment and they think the killer is the same man who killed the woman that Clyde found. So they're not taking him in for custody. Mulder's taking him to go do some psychic stuff. Yep. So so Mulder asks him if he can tell them anything about it. And he's like, I didn't do it. And Mulder says he's not under suspicion, but Mulder does have suspicion that Clyde can see things about this crime. And Clyde is like, I don't know what you mean, but Mulder thinks he does. And Clyde's like, can I see your badges again? This is (laughs) weird. And then he looks at him and he's like, is that a real name? Because he looks at Mulder's name like, you know, Fox is not a real name. And he says he doesn't understand what's happening. He found a body in his dumpster. He reported it. And now he's being accused of doing things or being able to do things. And then he gets distracted and he just like walks immediately over to the table where the woman's eyes and entrails were left earlier. So like they're obviously not there, right? They took those, but the tablecloth is there with the blood on it. So you think they would have taken that too, but anyway, they didn't. Um, We need it for set dressing. And he stares at it for a minute and then he just immediately like fast walks to the bathroom and we can hear him like, you know, just heaving in the background. And Mulder asks Scully to pinch him. And Scully thinks he's performing the same routine as Yappy. But Mulder says, no, something is telling me this guy is for real. 
And Scully's like, what? Now you're a psychic? So mm-hmm. I did like Mulder's like, pinch me because he's so excited. He thinks he's found a real psychic. So <laughs> he's he's like, <laughs> Mulder is way, way too excited about this. It's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty funny. Yeah. So Clyde comes out of the bathroom. And he says the killer doesn't feel like he's in control of his own life. And Scully kind of looks at Mulder and gives a little like told you so face because obviously that's exactly what Yappy said. But then Clyde's like, but who is? Am I right? And this killer, he sees himself as some kind of puppet. And Mulder asks if he can describe the man, but Clyde shakes his head. And Scully's like, so you can see into him, but not at him. And both Mulder and Clyde kind of give her a look. And so she apologizes, saying that she doesn't want to give off any negative energy. And Clyde kind of balks at that, like, yeah, negative energy. No worries. But then he notices the rug. So he zooms in on it, too, just like Yappy did. And he's like, they had sex there, but it wasn't rape. The victim actually initiated the whole thing. And then he continues to kind of stare at the rug. And Mulder's like, what's wrong? And Clyde just says... Seems like everyone's having sex except for me, which I have to say, I didn't love this bit. It made me feel a little gross just because like, I think it just creates implications about the attack and how the attack happened that I don't think they meant to create because I think it was just meant to be like a throwaway line that's supposed to be sort of funny and then also tell us like Clyde is a lonely person and like, so it's supposed to give us that information. But like, it just made me like, thinking about it just got me thinking about like how the crime would have gone down then and like if this woman would have slept with this guy like well that's totally fine i mean she might have before she did the tea leaf reading or maybe she didn't and didn't realize this was a guy that was going to kill her i don't know it just it just created a lot of questions for me and so it bothered me because i then it just sent me off on this like thing where i started thinking way too much about it yeah see and that's where i had when we talked about we're talking about the tea leaves later because i'm more like what implications does it bring it like I, I like i'm not gonna disregard the fact that it made you feel uncomfortable if it made you feel uncomfortable it made you feel uncomfortable i'm not gonna like push against that but it's like people can want to have sex and not realize the person they're with is a killer or plans to kill them i don't see any problem with that i think Mulder was being facetious earlier about the tea leaves because obviously he can't read tea leaves they say that she's a tea leaf reader but like they were just tea leaves in the bottom that doesn't mean she saw that she was going to get murdered because how would he know what she was thinking I mean, that would also give the implication that that's a real thing and actually works. So I think he was just being. Yeah, I mean, it's possible he was being facetious. I didn't. For some reason, I thought that was actually. (laughs) I mean, because if he wasn't, then it says both that reading tea leaves is real and that also that Mulder is able to either read tea leaves or can see into other people's minds because there's no other indication that she saw she was going to be murdered. Yeah. So. No, and there's no problem with them sleeping together. I don't have a problem with consensual sex. I just meant like it just kind of created questions for me as to how the crime would have gone down in that respect. That doesn't mean that you can't sleep with someone and then they murder you. That definitely happens. It just yeah. was. It- I mean, you know, he instead of like she's she's a you know maybe he built up a relationship with her and then found out she was a tea leaf reader and so that's maybe yeah i don't know it just created a lot of questions for me i didn't particularly love it but it's not the end of the world it's definitely not the worst thing or anything it just yeah it bothered me a little bit okay i was just wondering like earlier they talk about it's possibly a rape because like yappy is like he forced himself on her right that didn't seem to be a problem so i was i was kind of confused about what about it was bothering you so i think it just because it created issues about the how the crime would have gone down, basically. Went down like they were having sex and he killed her. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Yeah. 
So then Clyde walks over and he starts looking at all the, like she was a doll collector, right? So the walls are just covered in like shells and on all the shelves are dolls. And so he's looking at the dolls in one corner and Mulder asks why the killer sees these people the way he does. And Clyde says he doesn't know why people do anything. Why does he sell insurance? Why did this woman collect dolls? He's like, was there just one moment? Like when she was like, dolls, that's what I'm going to do. And he's just like going through all like, you know, the life things kind of thing about what would lead up to it. And as he's looking at them, he's, you know, we're panning over this row of dolls. And then one of the dolls has this gross, fleshy, messed up looking head. It looks a little bit like Leonard, honestly, from Humbug, kind of. And he turns around and he grabs the doll off the shelf and he tells them they'll find the woman tomorrow morning by the fat little white Nazi stormtrooper. Her body is floating in Glenview Lake. And then Clyde looks back at the doll and it looks like a normal doll with curly hair. And then he leaves and said he's seen enough death for one night. Yeah. And it's commercial. Yep. Yeah. Because someone died a while ago. So <laughs> it works. Way back off screen, yeah. thankfully. Yeah. But. <laughs> so then we come back from commercial and we are at Glenview Lake. And there are two men in a boat and they're pulling a body up onto the boat and Mulder and Scully are there and they're standing on the dock overlooking the recovery. And Scully is like scanning the onlookers. There's a crowd like on a bridge. And again, the killer dude is there. Mulder points out a propane tank off to the side and says, it looks like a little fat Nazi stormtrooper. And Scully tells him the power of suggestion is something that's really strong. And if that propane tank weren't there, he would see it in something else. Though when Mulder presses her, because she like keeps going a little bit and he's like, hey, but you didn't answer my question because he asked her if it looks like a Nazi stormtrooper and she wouldn't answer. And then she finally does. She's like, yeah, it does. It looks like a little fat Nazi stormtrooper. But that actually proves her point. And then Mulder points out that Clyde named the specific body of water that they'd find the body in. And Scully says that points more to him being the killer, which Mulder doesn't believe. And then Scully says, well, then maybe he's just lucky. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure that proves Scully point. I mean, it's accurate, but it's more of like confirmation bias because then she sees it. So she says that proves my point. It doesn't necessarily prove it. I don't think it looks like a Nazi stormtrooper. It looks like a propane tank carrying a Nazi helmet, but doesn't like a little Nazi stormtrooper. So, yeah, I couldn't really see it either. But I mean, I got what they were going yeah. for. So, I mean, it's that type of helmet, but yeah. So then we cut to a lottery ticket. And we see Clyde is holding it while someone is announcing the numbers on the radio. And all the numbers are exactly one digit off from the numbers on his ticket, which is, as someone who buys a lot of tickets on occasion, is very frustrating. You're like, oh. So then he's like, why do I even do this to myself and puts his head in his hands? And I feel that, man. I feel that. And then someone knocks on his door and he tells him to come in. And it's Mulder. And he's like, I knew it would be you. And I know why you're here. They found the body right where I said it would be, and now you're convinced I'm some kind of psychic. So while your skeptical lady partner is performing an autopsy, you came here to ask for my help in finding the killer. And the Mulder's like, yeah, that's all correct. And Clyde looks up and says, oh, it's you. I'm not going to help you, please, Lee, which I have to admit, I don't really get. Like, I'm not sure who else he would have thought it was. Well, I think it was because it seems like when like especially like when he was doing like the the insurance salesman thing with the family, it seems like it just comes over him 
And like oh. Mulder was in the doorway when he was doing all that stuff. So he couldn't have even seen Mulder. Right. And he had his head in his hands. So it almost feels like, like he just like, you know, his psychic ability obviously didn't work for the ticket, but then Mulder comes in and it kicks in. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. He has a so. very specific set of psychic abilities, which is yeah. not super helpful to be honest. Yeah. Although this one actually does not match that specific ability it doesn't so yeah i'm not exactly sure what was that was why i was kind of yeah. like i don't know what's going on but yeah, yeah. but I, that was the gist i got from it was that it just kicked in and then when Mulder like talked to him it, it broke him out of it and he's like oh it's you like yeah. he was just like talking and not even realizing oh, okay yeah that makes sense yeah now i'm doing in-universe explanation well i mean there are two things right there's what actually happened on production day where maybe they screwed up a date or they met, left something in the scene or left a coffee cup on the table and then you can kind of go in and go well maybe Mulder had coffee I mean you know, it's just kind of like obviously they screwed up but that doesn't mean you can't come up with a reason that's what fan fiction is there for, is no much. Starbucks in Game of Thrones I'm sorry anyway. oh yeah I mean that so. is obviously <laughs> obviously Game of Thrones that one's a little harder to explain in universe <laughs> I think the best explanation actually I actually read a theory that it's like it was like a conspiracy theory that that was viral marketing for Starbucks and that they did it on purpose uh, but... but still in universe it makes no <laughs> sense but anyway. no it doesn't because you yeah. can't yeah I mean in, in the X-Files you could have a coffee cup where <clears throat> couldn't do that so Mulder's like so you admit to having this ability. And Clyde says, yeah, but unfortunately it's non-refundable. And Mulder actually tells him his ability is enviable. And Clyde's like, do you want to know how you're going to die? And Mulder says he would. And Clyde shakes his head and he says, no, you don't. But of course, not knowing has drawbacks, which is why a good insurance policy is so important. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's probably a reason he got into like insurance sales, right? Yeah. And I honestly, I admire the heck out of people who can be salespeople because I do not have that bone in my body and I don't know how people do it. So Mulder cuts him off and he says the murderer has already committed four homicides. And Clyde's like, he'll commit more whether I help you or not. And Mulder questions that, but Clyde counters that he wouldn't be able to see the future if it didn't already exist. And Mulder's like, so why bother to do anything? And Clyde says, now you're catching on. So we cut to a little later and Clyde is sitting in his recliner and Mulder is sitting on the bed facing him. And Mulder says that he has to do everything in his power to prevent more death. And Clyde posits that helping might actually affect the future. What if a woman who's supposed to be killed survives and has a son who invents a time machine and then changes things so Clyde is never born? And then he actually decides maybe that wouldn't be so bad. So maybe, yeah, go ahead and help. Yeah, and we condense the scene a lot because he goes on to a long list of things that would happen and then would lead to him not being born. So. Right, yeah, it's a very long, yeah. long scene. Yeah. But basically the gist is like, what if not killing someone actually leads to bad consequences, which isn't, it's an interesting thought experiment at least. So then we cut to Clyde and he's sitting at a table in an FBI interrogation room and Mulder removes a metal object from this evidence bag and it's like this... It seemed like it's a vase holder or something, or like it would hold like a giant, giant, like Fabergé egg or something. It's like, like three frogs made out of brass and they're like connected. A really so, big candle. You could put it around a candle or something. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. Or you could wear it as a crown. Maybe if you wanted to be the frog <laughs> king, I don't know. But anyway, um, it's, a, it's a little too big to be a crown unless you have a giant head. But Clyde's like, I don't know what this is, but it belonged to one of the victims. And Mulder's like, that's a hit. And then he explains what a hit is. You know, because we wouldn't know that apparently. So 
again, a hit is when you're doing psychics. When you get something right, it's a hit. And if you miss, then it's a miss, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Clyde says the man who cast the mold for the piece will die of prostate cancer at the age of 82. And he's like, hit or miss. And Mulder's like, I have no way to verify that. And he's like, well, then why'd you ask me? But then Mulder asks if he gets any other impressions from it. And Clyde looks at it. He holds it up. And he's like, it's ugly. Next. So he puts it to the side. He wants the next thing. So then Scully from outside the room, Scully approaches. And we see there's like a whole pile of evidence bags next to Clyde. And she watches him hold something up to his forehead. He's kind of, it's almost like he's dabbing his forehead with it. He's like, mm, 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 mm. And she knocks on the door because you can see there's a window in the door. So she knocks on it. Mulder gets up, goes outside, talks to her. And Mulder says that it seems like Clyde only has one psychic ability. He can divine how people die. And like, that's it. That's all he can do. He can't give them really any practical information for their case. And then Clyde's like, I got it. I got it. And he's like, he's holding like a little piece of blue fabric to his head. And he's like, this is from your New York Knicks t-shirt. And Mulder's like, miss. And Clyde's like, oh, this is worse than playing the lotto. Yeah, I thought that was a great callback to Beyond the Sea, though. I thought that was nice. Yeah. Do you want to explain in the callback in case people don't remember Beyond the Sea? Yeah, so in Beyond the Sea, Mulder gives Boggs, who is the supposed psychic who's in prison, uh, a piece of his New York Knicks t-shirt, and he asks him to, like, see what he can see and kind of pretends that it's probably from one of the victims or something. And so Boggs goes on this whole thing about like how he sees the victim in pain or whatever. And Mulder just grabs the scrap of shirt back and is like, it's a scrap from my New York Knicks t-shirt. So like you're full of it basically. So I thought that was yeah. kind of a good callback. <laughs> yeah. And we'll bring up beyond the sea later as well. Yes, so we will. I think you have a little bit to say about that. So. So Scully walks into the room and she hands Clyde an evidence bag and she tells him to try this one. So he pulls a plastic keychain out of the bag and it's rectangular and it has a weird symbol drawn on it in red. And Scully tells Mulder the keychain was pulled from the victim in the lake. Two of the other victims had identical keychains on their persons as well. And the symbol is connected to a company called Uranus Unlimited. They provide market strategies based on astrological forecasts. The company is owned by a man named, and Clyde interrupts and he says, Claude Dukenfeld. Dukenfeld is 43 and Clyde lists his address and he says he's divorced with two kids. He makes $87,000 a year and he's a non-smoker. And Mulder's like, whoa, that's impressive. And Clyde's like, no, I only know that because I sold him an insurance policy a couple months ago. It's just a coincidence. And Scully says they're trying to get a hold of Dukenfeld, but Clyde says they won't be able to. He's been murdered. Yeah. I hope they did like full forensics on that before Scully gave it to him to touch. I mean, I guess that's <laughs> actually true for all the stuff that like Mulder had him touch too, right? Like I hope they already did like forensics on that. But then also I do realize too, this keychain came from the lake. So it probably doesn't have a lot of forensic evidence on it anyway. So it probably not, but you know. That, but yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, I hope like they've got all the information they can off the stuff or they're just having some dude like touch everything. Yeah, I would hope Unless so. they're trying to set him up. <laughs> so. Oh dear. That's yeah. a sinister way to take it. Yeah. <laughs> so then we cut to a car and it turns out the Scully is driving. Scully doesn't Yay. drive so often, so Scully's driving. And they're driving down a highway and it's surrounded by trees. And Clyde is in the passenger seat and Mulder is in the back seat. And Clyde is like, we're almost there. We're almost there. And Mulder asks how he's receiving the information about the body's location. So they're on the hunt for the body. And he's like, how should I know? 
And Mulder keeps asking him. He's like, look, I don't know how I know. I just do, okay? And then he tells Scully it's, it's up ahead. They're almost there. So then, like, because Mulder keeps bugging him about psychic stuff. Mm-hmm. And he makes a comment about how, like, autoerotic asphyxiation. And you might, you know. And Mulder's like, why are you telling me that? And Clyde's like, nothing. Forget it. Forget I mentioned it. So. <laughs> yeah. And then he tells Scully to pull over. And he's like, stop a little way down this dirt road. And they get out. And he's like, this is the spot. So Clyde and Mulder and Scully are walking through the forest. And it's actually a beautiful looking forest, to be honest with you. It's really gorgeous. And Clyde says he guesses they run into a lot of bodies in their line of work. And Scully is like, you get used to it. But Clyde says he never has. And so Mulder's asking about the first time that Clyde foresaw someone's death. Clyde says that in 1959, Buddy Holly's plane crashed. Clyde had tickets to see him the next night, though he was a bigger fan of the Big Bopper and his song Chantilly Lace. And then he says, like, the Bopper wasn't supposed to be on that plane. He won the seat from someone else with a coin flip. And then he's like, imagine all the things that had to come together, like in people's lives and everything, so that the Big Bopper's life or his death came down to a coin flip. And he's like, after that, I, like, became so obsessed with the idea of like all the things that would affect someone's dying that he became capable of seeing the specifics for everyone's death. Like it was just like, he became so obsessed with it. It like click turned something in his brain and Scully's like, yeah, whatever, I don't buy it. And Clyde agrees. It sounds crazy, but it's true. He was in fact a bigger fan of the big bopper than buddy Holly. <laughs> so not Ouch. the worst of the jokes. Yeah, not the worst of the jokes. It is a little ironic for Scully to be saying, like, you get used to it about seeing dead bodies after Irresistible. But Yeah, I mean, I think she was pretty used to seeing bodies, and then she had some trauma. Although she hasn't had a problem in a while, so. Yeah. So, a little history for people here. So, on February 3rd, 1959, after playing a show at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa, Buddy Holly, age 22, Richie Valens, age 17, and JP, the big bopper, Richardson, age 24, got into a plane to head to their next show in Minnesota. I can't remember the name of the city. It's like Moorhead. I think it's it's like Moore, but I can't remember what the name of it is. And I didn't put it in my notes and I'm not going to spend the time to look it up right now. Anyway, it's February, so they didn't want to have to ride the tour bus because it would be cold. So they were going to hop a plane. But the plane like crashed like right after takeoff in Clear Lake, Iowa and killed everyone. Mm-hmm. This has actually been coined as The Day the Music Died by Don McLean in his 1971 song, American Pie. The story here is a little not exactly. So mm-hmm. a young Waylon Jennings, who was actually playing bass for the band at the time on the tour, because it, like, it was almost like a, like a multi-band tour kind of thing, right? So they were like, it was like almost like a festival, like a mini Lollapalooza, in fact. He gave up his seat on the plane. He gave it to the Big Bopper because the Big Bopper was sick. And so since it would be cold on the bus, he was like, here, no, dude, you take the plane. It's fine. I'll ride the bus, whatever. And then the plane crashed. So there is some more story about that, too, but I'm not going to get into it. And then um, actually in January of 2021, so earlier in this year, the surf ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa was declared a national historic landmark. Nice. So, yeah, because it was the last place they played right before the crash. So, yeah. Buddy Holly was obviously like big. Richie Valens had had a couple of hits and everyone kind of thinks like Richie Valens is actually the bigger, not that you should weigh people's lives against other people's lives, No, absolutely. but a lot not. of people say that Richie Valens is maybe the greater tragedy because one being a Hispanic individual, he was pretty much about really to just like go super big 
and would have it would, that would have been like a big historic moment for like a Hispanic person. And the Big Bopper also his career was like Buddy Holly was definitely the the more famous of the two of them at the time. So yeah. Well, and it must have been really weird for Jennings because it's one of those things where like you were supposed to be on that plane and you well, weren't. here's the thing. Here's part of the story that I didn't want to get into, but we're getting into it because you just in a way kind of brought it up. So apparently when Jennings gave his seat to the big bopper, Buddy Holly like was Joshua with him. It's like, uh-huh, enjoy that cold bus ride. And Willie and Jennings said, Yeah, well, I hope your plane doesn't crash. <gasps> Oh my and he God. like never talked about that for real long. I guess he he brought that story up. I guess the first time it became like public was like in 1999. He was talking like to country music oh. television or something. And he was just like, you know, after that, he was just like, you know, he didn't want to tell anybody because like not only did he what feel a- responsible for it, but then right, also obviously- just like survivor's guilt kind of action. Yeah. As well, so. And like. Obviously, he didn't make the plane crash by saying that, but no. how terrible would you feel? Like, holy yeah. crap. Yeah. That's awful. I mean, the whole thing is obviously three people died, um, plus the pilot, maybe more people. I don't know who else was on the plane. Obviously, huge tragedy. And like, yeah, I do. I have to say, I really kind of like this as an origin story for a psychic, though. Like, I think it's fascinating, the idea that like he was so obsessed with that concept of like, the little things that lead you to be in the wrong place at the wrong time where you die, that it actually created this like psychic ability. And it's, I think that's really cool. And I think it's something, yeah. if you're a fan of like dead, like me, like that's a really similar thing that happens in episodes is like all these little tiny things that come together for someone to be in the wrong place. So I just think that's really fascinating. Yeah. So the coin flip part, not, not real, true. but everything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Well, thank you. That was history corner and it was fun. I learned a lot. I didn't know any of that. So you youngins and I know I don't even really know any Buddy Holly songs I know that one song that's like called Buddy Holly and I can't even remember who sings it, it used to be on MTV all well time. you should know that'll be the day that I die I do know that song yes okay yeah I've heard that and I'm sure I've heard Buddy Holly and I'm sure if I heard the song I'd be like oh yeah okay Peggy yeah, Sue Peggy Sue okay yeah see I know I've heard it it's just yeah. one of those things where my mom didn't really listen to Buddy Holly and so like my mom was more of a Jimmy Buffett, James Taylor person. And so, yeah, because actually some of their early songs are actually just the crickets. And then as they became popular, it's one of those things where like the singer becomes the big uh, part. And yeah. so then it became Buddy Holly and the crickets. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. And Waylon Jennings, he wasn't like the regular part of the group. He was just touring with them for that particular okay. tour. So because he hadn't become like a big country music star yet, obviously. So. Okay. All right. So anyway, they're walking through the woods and Scully kind of gets fed up. Like she's done walking around looking for this body. I don't know how long they've been out there, but he's like, okay, where's the body? And Mulder also is a little bit tired of walking around looking for it. And so he wants to know also, and he doesn't get how Clyde can pinpoint the area, but not the exact location. And I'm just like, Mulder, you know enough about psychic ability to know that it's not always spot on. But anyway. So they go back to the car and it's apparently rained because now the dirt road that they have parked on has become like this mud. And so one of the tires is stuck. So Scully's in the driver's seat and Mulder and Clyde are behind the car so they can push it out. So Mulder tells Scully to hit the gas and the tire spins in the mud and the mud sprays up on Mulder's pant leg. And of course, like Mulder's like, of course. And Clyde like looks like he's smiling, but it's a weird like joker-esque smile so Mulder's like 
what are you smiling about? And he's like, I'm not smiling. I'm wincing. And so Mulder goes around the side of the car and we can see under the other tire where Clyde is standing, there's like a hand pushing up out of the mud. Yeah. Cause Mulder was pissed that he got mud all over his pants. Mm-hmm. And it's, he kind of looks at Clyde. Like he's like, like it's his fault. Like, and like he's laughing there. at him for it. Yeah. And then it looks, and then it looks like Clyde is smiling. So Mulder's a little pissed. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But he's not. He's wincing because there's another dead body, and they're literally right on top of it. Yeah. So he's got he a wasn't big old wrong. Gold ring on his finger too. Yep. And it's commercial because someone died a while ago. Mm-hmm. Just like last time. Last time the commercial was a delayed commercial. <laughs> so back in Clyde's apartment, Mulder hands him a tiny plastic bag with a thread inside, and Clyde's like, "What's this?" And Mulder says it's the only evidence they recovered from Duncan Feld's body. The fiber may have come from something the killer was wearing at the time of the crime. And Clyde is like, don't you have crime labs for this sort of stuff? And Scully, who is apparently like capital D done now with all the psychic stuff, is like, yes, yes, we do. And Mulder points out that that would take time. A similar fiber was found on an earlier victim, and they actually did send it to the lab, and they're still waiting for the lab to determine its source. So they're kind of hoping Clyde can tell them what it is so they can kind of skip ahead. And Clyde's like, I have my own work to do, and he goes to his desk. And Mulder's like, listen, I'm desperate for some insurance. (laughs) And so Clyde perks up, and he starts talking about General Mutual's coverage plans, and Mulder waves a little plastic baggie in front of him. And so Clyde, like... (laughs) reluctantly takes the baggie and he sniffs the fiber and Clyde says he can't tell where it's from, but the killer is going to kill more people before they catch him. And Scully asks him if he can like get a visual on the killer yet and like see him physically. And Clyde says, no, just more insights into his character. The killer thinks he's psychic. And Mulder asks if he is. And Clyde hopes not because he's seen some of the things the killer has seen. And Mulder's like, like what? So we enter Clyde's mind. And we see Mulder burst through a door. And Clyde says the killer sees Mulder trying to catch him. And Mulder's like, where? And Clyde says, in a kitchen. And so we see Mulder walking through this like restaurant style kitchen. He's got his gun drawn. It's dark. And Clyde says the killer is behind him now. But Mulder doesn't know it. And he's got a bloody knife. And Mulder's like, why don't I see the killer? And Clyde's like, you're looking down. You stepped in a pie that fell on the floor coconut cream or, or maybe lemon meringue i can't tell and Mulder's like yeah enough about the pie and so clyde tells him the killer comes up to him with a knife and then we see someone with a knife approaching Mulder from behind and then clyde's like banana cream banana cream and then Mulder's like oh being killed and so clyde is like the killer sees himself coming up behind Mulder, and then and clyde does not say this but we see the killer slit Mulder's throat Mm-hmm. and then Clyde's like mm, no nothing don't it's visions of a madman don't worry about it and Scully looks Scully is very interested in this mm-hmm. Tori wrote that Scully looks horrified I think she's more like just wrapped in the story and like a gog it's not really a horrified look in my opinion yeah but that's fair it's more it's, like it's, fascination it's yeah. yeah she definitely looks drawn into the story right like she's yeah definitely it. drawn in yeah two things I really like about this and they're actually the the part before the premonition, what you want to call it, is one is just like when Mulder's like for some insurance, and Clyde is like, "Oh, you know, mutual insurance is covered." He's like, "I don't know what the FBI does, but," and he's like, just going on. It's, 
<laughs> it's really good. And yes. then when Scully asks if he can see the killer yet, and he's like, no, just more insight into his character. And he's like, oh, and you're going to love this because he's going to say that he's psychic and he knows that Scully doesn't believe in that kind of stuff. So I thought that was cute too. Yeah. But, yeah. It was Again, well done. Peter Boyle. Yeah. He's he is a talented guy. He's real. I mean, this episode would not be what it is without him at all. And I also I thought the pie thing was funny too because like he's a psychic, right? So he's seeing these things and like they have certain importance, maybe. And he's just like so focused on the flavor of pie. I would be too. I'd be like, oh my god, what kind of pie? Is it? Yeah. And it gets more into the fact that he can't control what he's doing, right? Because like he's right. totally getting distracted. And Mulder's like, um, like you're talking about me probably dying. Can you please tell me? Give me some more information, right. please. <laughs> yeah, can you give me some like, specifics? Pie. I don't care about what kind of pie I step in, but you know, also yeah. now I really want some pie. Huh. <laughs> Should have gotten some. Didn't think about that. That's okay. So Mulder is impressed he got all of that from a fiber, but Clyde is like, How would I get anything from a fiber? And he's like, This came in the mail today. So he hands Mulder an envelope with a letter from the killer. And the letter basically says the killer can't wait to meet Clyde when he's going to kill him because he's going to Clyde kill is Clyde. A psychic, so, yeah. So, you know, Clyde is on his victim's list, but not before he Clyde explains some things like, why did the killer send him this letter? P.S. Say hi to the FBI agents. And then Clyde's just like, hi. So Scully figures the killer saw Clyde with them at the crime scene. But Mulder notes that the letter is actually dated the day before Clyde joined their investigation. So like the post date on the letter is earlier. And Mulder tells Clyde he needs to come with them for his own protection. And Clyde's like, okay, but I'm going to be dead before you catch this guy, no matter what you do. Oh. Yeah. Ominous. Yeah. Also, like I said, Clyde's a psychic. I mean, according to this episode, he is. The killer must also have something going on. Because it's not like Clyde goes around telling people he's a psychic. He just no, yeah. So he obviously is able to feel it or something. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, he definitely slips up once in a while when he's selling insurance, like we saw. But it's not like he advertises it or tries to. No, sell he's not out there trying to make or... money or no. Especially because he doesn't believe you can change anything, so it wouldn't make a difference, right? Uh, so he's gonna help people by telling them when they're gonna die. So yeah, I mean that's not super helpful information. I mean, I guess no. if you could prevent it, like if that guy maybe now puts on a seatbelt. Like when he's driving down that road, possibly, you know, or drive. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't drive down that road in two years. But I mean, who and knows? the seatbelt would just fail. It would. Release yeah. And he, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with that kind of thing. Right. Like, can you yep. actually prevent those things or not? Anyway, fate versus free will. Anyhow. Yeah. So <laughs> who yeah. knows? So we cut to a tarot card being flipped over. And that card is the hermit. And a tarot reader is telling his customer that he is searching for someone, but not to worry. This person will find him. It's a relative or a close friend. And then we see the person he's talking to, and he's talking to the dude that we know is the killer. Mm -hmm. And he says, actually, the guy I'm going to kill. And so the tarot reader is kind of like, huh, yeah. (laughs) And kind of gives that like smile, you know. Like the nervous customer he, service smile when someone says really something really weird, and you're just like, uh huh, okay, sure. Yeah. So then he turns over another card, and it's the magician. And he tells him that he seeks answers from a man who possesses a special wisdom. Ooh. Yeah. So then we're at 
the Damfino Hotel, and it's September 21st. And we see Clyde is eating a slice of chocolate cream pie, and he's enjoying it. And he's like, oh, yeah, the cream is real cream, not that fake stuff. I can tell the difference. So he obviously decided he wanted pie after talking about that, too. I mean, I like would, you. too. Who wouldn't? Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe me and Clyde have a lot in common, apparently. <laughs> when am I going to die, Tori? How am I going to die? Um, You don't want to know. So uh, Clyde even points out that there are you these You could have nice... said never. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> oh, damn. I missed that one. I missed that <laughs> cue, too. Oh, man. That would have been good. So as Clyde is eating the pie, he points out that there are even these nice lace doilies under the plates as well. So like, you know, on the plates, like under, you know, it's like on another plate and there's a doily in between. And he asks Scully what she's doing because he's like busy eating his pie. And she says she's going through background checks. That's what real detective work is. They can't just come up with suspects by having visions. And Clyde's like jealous, <sighs> which I thought was funny. They're like Scully and Clyde's interactions get real. I really like it. I don't know. I yeah. think it's a cool thing. They develop so. a relationship. They do. Sorry, spoiler. Anyway, so back at the tarot reader, the tarot reader flips over another card, and it's the lovers. And he tells the man that he is very confused right now, and nothing seems to make sense. He doesn't know why he does the things he does, but his confusion is soon to come to an abrupt end with the arrival of a woman, maybe a redhead. Ooh. So then we cut to Scully, and she's sitting on a hotel bed. Yeah. And so it's one of those hotel rooms with two beds. So Clyde is lying on the other bed. She's sitting on the other one facing him. And she asks if he can see his own end. And he says he can see their end. They end up in bed together. And Scully's like, "Uh, nope, wrong, miss. (laughs) And he apologizes. And he's like, I didn't mean to scare or offend you. I don't mean here. I don't mean this bed. But I see us clearly in bed together and you're holding my hand and you're looking at me with compassion and there are tears streaming down my face. And I just feel so grateful. And Scully's like, well, there are hits and there are misses and then there are misses. And he's like, I just call him as I see him. And she kind of smiles at him. She does. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's not like mad or anything. It's just, you know. So again, we're back to the tarot reader. And the killer is like, you know, I've been to a lot of fortune tellers and you are really good. And so then the tarot reader reaches for the last card, but guy grabs his hand and stops him and says, that card isn't meant for me. It's for you. And the tarot reader flips it over and it's the death card. Oh, so then we see Scully and Clyde are playing cards. So they're seated at the table And Scully is telling him how Ahab mistakes the prophecy and dies as a result. And Clyde is like, so you're not the least bit curious? And then there's a knock on the door. And Scully puts down the cars and she's like, well, that must be Mulder. Time for a shift change. And she starts to head for the door. But then she comes back and she leans over Clyde. And she's like, all right, how do I die? And he's like, you don't. And then she goes to open the door. So apparently a lot of fans took this literally and came up with theories that Scully is immortal. And we'll talk about we'll talk about that a little more at the end. But in the interview, I will mention below and we'll we'll link to it in the show notes. Morgan says it was just meant to be a joke. It wasn't meant to be like she's actually immortal. But as the series goes on and we learn things 
about Skelly, people were like, well, they did say she was immortal. And so they start to put together these theories. Yeah, I believe there's actually an episode where a life is traded for a life. And so then that even reinforces it. And then at one point, Scully mentions the fact that she's immortal. So, and we know she's been messed with by aliens. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. As as things come out about aliens and what they've done to her, like people were like, oh, well, she must be immortal, like they said. So anyway, yeah, just, but apparently. she's a vampire. (laughs) But Darren Morgan said it was just meant to be a joke. So it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, what's he know? He just wrote the story. Yeah, I mean, again. That's where fanon and canon or like fan interpretations can vary, right? Because like canon does say that. And so you can go either way. You can be like, yep, she's immortal. Or you can go, nope, that was a joke. And it's kind of like whichever one makes you happy. Yeah. So she opens the door and it is Mulder. And he tells her the results on the first fiber came back. It's lace. And she's like, Chantilly lace. And he's like, you know what I like. And then Scully says it's unlikely the killer was wearing Chantilly lace at the time of the crimes. And Mulder reminds her like the Big Bopper song and Chantilly lace. And she's like, that doesn't mean anything. And she's like, it's just coincidence. And he's like, it doesn't feel like coincidence. And then she leaves. So, yeah, I have a question for you, Tori. Mm-hmm. Did you get that when he says he knows what she likes? I mean, I think so. What? What is it? <laughs> tell me. Tell I me, mean, tell me. I got it. I thought it was supposed to be a joke about you know what I like. Wink, wink. Like, I like when you wear Chantilly okay. lace, right? It's the song. Oh, I don't know the song. In the song Chantilly lace, at one point is like, you know what I like. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was just Mulder making a joke. Youngins, youngins. Yeah, youngins. I've never heard the song. I should have listened to it for this episode. And I did not do that. So I apologize for not doing my homework. You left it out. So I was like, <laughs> she hasn't heard the song. So that's why I added it back in. Yep. I have not heard the song. <laughs> I thought it was Mulder just making a little joke. Oh. So later, Clyde is in bed and Mulder's on the other bed and he's reading a book. And Mulder looks over and like Clyde isn't sleeping. So he's like, am I keeping you awake? And Clyde says he's waiting for him to ask another psychic ability question. And not like in a good way. He's just like, I'm just. Yeah, he's just, he knows Mulder's going to keep pestering him, basically. So, and Mulder's like, well, you know, sometimes I dream something and then I see it in real life. Do you ever have prophetic dreams? And Clyde says he only has one dream and he dreams it every night. He's lying naked in a field of red tulips and he's at peace. And then he realizes he's dead. And we see Clyde in a field of tulips and like gradually the body like decomposes. And he talks about how the dream leads him through the stages of decomposition and putrefaction until he's just bones. And then as he feels himself slipping away, he wakes up. And then in the hotel, he's like, well, good night and turns off the lights. Yeah, very abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently Peter Boyle had some issues with death. He had had a few health scares. And so he was not. You know, I don't know if he was afraid of death, but clearly was not his favorite topic, which I right on board with him. So I totally understand. And he found filming that dream sequence super uncomfortable. So he told Tony Lindala, this is the worst day of my life. Like he really did not enjoy filming this part. So they tried to make it as quick and painless as possible. And I do think I remember Peter Boyle talking about this during the convention. I think he did mention how this episode really did bring home, like, because it is a lot about death and stuff and did talk a lot about how those things were things that made him kind of uncomfortable. And I'm right there with him. Like 
death makes me super uncomfortable. Don't love it. So, I mean, not like <laughs> movie death. I just mean like, yeah. Anyway, basically I relate, I guess is what I should say. Yeah. So I could see how that would be uncomfortable. Yeah. Notably, he's not naked in the scene. despite No. And <laughs> um, they could have shot him from closer up and just had like his bare chest and that would have mm-hmm. implied it. But well, I think it would have been better if they'd done it just like they did the insurance scene and just focused on him telling the story mm-hmm. because they do the digi stuff that they mm-hmm. keep wanting to do and don't do great. And it just it doesn't look that great. Um, no, it's pretty even in 1995 standards. It doesn't look that great. Honestly. No, it's really messy CGI and it doesn't. I mean, apparently they did a lot of work on it. And it took them a really long time because it's yeah, not apparently just they CGI. Like ran right up to the wire on trying to get it done. Like they should yeah. have done it, honestly. Yeah. And I agree but, with you. I think it would have been more effective if we had just focused on him and let him to- tell it because like showing it because you and I both agree that scene where he's selling the insurance mm-hmm. is really powerful. Yeah. And I think I think this one could have had that. It like it, it kind of it loses some of that power, I think, by having that CGI stuff. But mm-hmm. no, I agree with you. I think that would have been better. So yeah. And then he wouldn't have had to lie there and film it and been super uncomfortable pretending well, to be dead. So. I think I think his problem with it was actually doing the lines because like all he had to do was lay there for like for a yeah, couple of seconds. I think you're and then, it, and then right. it's digi. They just had to get like us because he doesn't move either. They could have taken a photograph of him lying there in his t-shirt and underwear. Yeah. And that would be it. I think it's more actually having to like get into character and make it feel real was probably the bigger thing than like yeah no i could see that yeah yeah because not like they really like decomposed him and then brought him back to life or anything so no they did not kill peter boy if they did it would have looked better but um (laughs) that would you know you have trouble doing the the back end of that is a little problematic so yeah just a little yeah So anyway, there's a knock on the door. So they've apparently Mulder's shift is either really short or this has been more time than we think. And Mulder looks super haggard. So maybe it's the morning. I think so. And it's Scully and Javes. And Scully tells them that Javes is going to stay with Clyde while they go around the corner to a tarot reader. There's been another murder. So as they head down the hall towards the elevator, Mulder tells Scully he's starting to lose patience with Clyde. He's like, what good are his prophecies if they're not preventative? And Scully's actually like, I'm actually starting to feel more sympathetic towards him. So like Mulder's kind of losing mm-hmm. the Clyde and Scully's kind of like getting the Clyde. So as they're walking down the hallway, a bellhop is like bringing a tray down the hallway. And then he and Scully kind of do that dance, right? And then they go away and he apologizes to her. And then she just tells Mulder that she doesn't necessarily believe in Clyde's ability, but that in thinking he can see the future, He's taken all the joy out of his life. And so that's why she feels sympathy for him. Cause she's, you know, mm-hmm. so then in the hotel room, Clyde is laying on the bed and Javes is still on the other bed and he's telling him a joke. Right. And as he gets to the punchline, Clyde says it. And he's like, I thought you didn't hear this joke. And he's like, I didn't, but he knows it because he's psychic. Duh. Anyway, <laughs> then Javes is like, so, they say you can see how people die. Is that is that true? Clyde nods and he's like, so so how am I going to die? And then he answers kind of the question for himself. He's got like a cigarette tucked behind his ear. He's like, lung cancer? And Clyde's like, nope. And so he's like, oh, cool. Then he puts a cigarette <laughs> in his mouth and Clyde pulls out a Zippo lighter and lights it for him. 
And then Javes goes to the bathroom and is like, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Do not open the door for anyone while I'm gone. And he goes in there and Clyde closes the lighter and then he's looking at it and it's Mrs. Lowe's lighter. And then he's like, oh God. And then there's a knock at the door. So Clyde unlocks the door and opens it and he lets in the bellhop who has his breakfast. And he hands Dude, Javes told him not to open the door. I know, but it's breakfast, dude. Most important meal of the day. So he also, I guess him- I was right then. It was morning because that's, yeah. duh, Nick, pay attention <laughs> to the show. So Clyde hands him a tip and the bellhop takes the tip and he like starts to leave and he rubs the bill in his hand as he's like turned towards the door to exit. And as soon as he like rubs the bill, something like clicks and he turns around and he looks back at Clyde. And we realize the bellhop is the killer and he just had a realization. So maybe <sighs> the killer has like psychomancy or whatever, where you touch things and you can like see things. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, Clyde sets down his food and clearly Clyde's had a realization of his own. So now he kind of knows who this guy is and the bellhop smiles. And it's commercial. Uh oh. Yeah. No one died though. Why is it commercial time? I mean, it just happens sometimes. Hmm. So the bellhop closes the door and he picks up the knife from the tray. And Clyde quips about the tip not being high enough. Like, uh oh, I guess I didn't give you a high enough tip because you're holding a knife. And the bellhop is like amazed. He's like, they brought you here where I work. Isn't it funny how things work out? And so Clyde just is like, he goes and sits down and the bellhop removes his hat and he's like, there's something I wanted to ask you for a long time now. Can you see the things I've done in the past as well as the future? And Clyde's like, yeah, they're terrible things. And the bellhop knows. And he's like, so why have I done them? And Clyde's like, don't you get it? You do the things you do because you're a homicidal maniac. And the killer's like, huh, I guess that does explain a lot. And then he sits down next to Clyde. And he says, you know, it's all starting to make sense now. And then he realizes something and he jumps up. And Clyde's like, no, you don't kill me now. And the bellhop's like, why not? And Clyde's like, how should I know? And then Javes comes out of the bathroom and the bellhop runs at him with a knife before he can grab his gun. And he pushes him into the bathroom and we hear him attacking him in the bathroom off screen. I guess Javes doesn't die of lung cancer after all. Guess not. So at the tarot readers, Mulder and Scully are studying the crime scene. And Klein is there also. And he talks about how the killer is getting sloppy or it's a copycat. Because like he didn't even like cut the eyes out or anything. And Scully is holding a tarot card called the Page of Cups. And it's got a bellhop on it. And she's looking outside the window. And then she comes back and she takes her gloves off. And under her glove, there's a little strand of something. And she tells Mulder that she's found another strand of the lace stuff. And Mulder's like, don't worry about it. We've got fingerprints and maybe even a footprint over here. We're good. And Klein's like, I'm glad we don't worry about psychics anymore. And Scully realizes the bellhop at the hotel is the killer. And then she tells him that. And then she, boom, runs out the door. And Klein's like, how does she know that? And Mulder's like, hmm, women's intuition. And he chases after her. <laughs> so... Yeah, This was good because I was kind of hoping that they were going to do this a little bit 
because we do see Scully looking at the crowd several times. Mm-hmm. And like, even though she's not really paying attention to them, like she saw him at the one crime scene, she mm-hmm. saw him at the other crime scene. Like she saw him as a bellhop, right? And so like, even though she's not like really paying attention to it, it like finally clicks in her head. It clicks in her head. And I think it's the realization of like the bellhop that she saw in the hallway. And you're right. This guy was in the crowd every time. So she's seen his face. And then also that little piece of lace. And she realizes it's like the lace under the plates. Yeah. So I think those three things on the tablecloth. Yeah. So I think those three things like click together in her head and she's like, oh, and like runs out. And that's how she figures it out. But it was good. Yeah. I kind of don't like the fact that she's holding the bellhop card because I seriously don't think she even looks at it. I don't I think it's just like she's got it in her hand because it's like, yeah, I don't think that's what clicked in her head. I think it was like you said, the crowd and the lace and just putting it all together. But it's a good way to kind of connect those dots and have her connect the dots. I thought that was good. so at the hotel the bellhop hurries down the hall and into a stairwell and as he gets into the stairwell the elevator on the same floor dings and scully opens the door to the hotel room and she calls for javez and she doesn't get an answer and she calls for clyde and no one's there but she finds a cigarette burned to ash on the bathroom floor where's javez insert cigarette smoking man joke here yeah he's not there so no one's there Hmm. And Mulder is at the elevator on the lower floor when he sees the bellhop through like this window on a service door and the bellhop sees him and they look at each other and then the bellhop runs. So Mulder chases him into the kitchen. <gasps> yeah. Kitchen. Like in Clyde's vision. And the bellhop turns off the lights. So Mulder's walking through the kitchen with his gun drawn. And then as predicted, like we hear this noise, like it sounds like a rack being shaken or something which if you worked in a kitchen like you definitely (laughs) kind of know that sound of a rack being like pushed around or knocked into and as Mulder's walking he steps on a pie that must have fallen from that rack so he turns around with his gun because he knows like the the guy's going to be behind you when you step on the pie right but the bellhop grabs him and he's actually behind him after Mulder turns around so they struggle. Oh, so he should have kept looking forward. I know. Oh. See, that's the thing about prophecy, right? Like it can screw you up. So they struggle and the killer gets Mulder to the floor and the bellhops kneeling over Mulder with a knife when Scully bursts through the door and tells him to drop it. And he lifts the knife anyway and he's going to plunge it into Mulder's chest. And so Scully shoots him in the gut oh. and he looks at his own blood and he kind of like touches the wound and he's like, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. And then he falls backwards onto the floor, possibly dead. Possibly dead. He didn't slit Mulder's throat. He didn't. He didn't. Yeah. But Clyde didn't say that he was going to. No, we just saw that, right? We just saw that. So Chris Carter was wrong. And he was wrong how? edited that out of the episode. Oh. (laughs) He's he's just adding his own, like, spin to it. So anyway. Stop it, Chris Carter. Stop it. So Scully runs to Mulder and he's like, how did you find us? And she's like, I didn't. I got into the service elevator by mistake. And she tells him that Bruckman's prediction didn't come true. The killer killed Javez, but not Clyde. 
And Mulder asks if Clyde's all right. And she says she couldn't find him. Which then how does she know that he didn't? I this is that part is a little weird. I guess because his body is not in the hotel room. So I guess they, she must have found Havis's body. So he must be in the I hotel guess. somewhere. That was, yeah, because that's the other thing. It's like, why don't we see Havis's body? But, so yeah. yeah, she must have found his body and Clyde's body isn't there. So she assumes that he didn't get killed, but she doesn't know that he's all right because she doesn't know where he is. So then they head to Clyde's apartment and the little dog that we saw in Mrs. Lowe's apartment is just sitting there in front of the door. He's whining and there's a note taped to the door and it's addressed to Scully. So she opens it and she reads it and in it, it's Clyde. And he says that his neighbor, Mrs. Lowe passed away last night. Please see the remains of her remains are taken care of. Also, would you like a dog? He's paper trained and well-behaved regardless of his actions last night, which you can't really blame him for. So dog ate her a little bit apparently yeah, well you know poor yeah. puppy so they open the door to Clyde's apartment and they walk in and Scully rushes over to the bed because laying on the bed is Clyde and he's got a bottle of pills in his hand and he's got a plastic bag over his head and Scully sits behind him beside him and she holds his hand and she looks at him and inside the plastic bag it looks like there are tears streaming down his cheek. And then later we see Scully and she's sitting on her sofa and she's watching an old Laurel and Hardy and the dog is with her. And the show ends that they're watching and a commercial comes on and it's the stupendous yappy. And we get like the whole full on commercial of the stupendous <laughs> yappy. It is long. It's annoying. And at the end, he's like, <laughs> pick up the phone and call me. I know you want to, I can, whatever, some psychic word that he says. I forget exactly what he says, but basically I'm a psychic. I know you're going to call me. And as he's saying that, we see Scully pick up the phone, but then she hurls it at the television. And then executive producer, Chris Carter. Yeah, that's the end. Yeah. So I I do feel, before we go anywhere else, mm-hmm. um, oh man, I'm starting to get messed up a little bit. Um, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, um, there are people you can talk to. So you can dial 1-800-273-TALK, which is 1-800-273-8255. So mm, that more than I did when I was watching it. Oh, man, okay. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. And obviously, there's right. going to be a content warning. We are going to talk about suicide. So just if that's something you don't want to hear right now, totally understandable, totally fine. Feel free to click off. And, you know, we totally get it. That is okay. Yeah. So before we get into that, I'm going to use my psychic abilities and I'm going to predict that Scully will name the dog after a character in Moby Dick. It's my prediction. You know you that already, don't that you? I didn't know that already. She names him after the Native American character. She names him Queequeg. Yeah. Which is, I just love that little dog. He's so freaking cute. Anyway, <laughs> I forgot you got a dog and I got really excited about that part. But then I read an article and it's like a 20 years later interview with Darren Morgan going back to this episode and like what it's done and what it meant and all that stuff. And there are some spoilers for later episodes in that article. So if you read it, just be aware if you're trying not to get spoiled for later stuff. I didn't realize there were going to be spoilers and I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. So there are spoilers. And I will that. say I haven't looked at this article. The Hollywood Reporter does some really good work. I'm assuming their interviews are as well. Yeah, so it's pretty good. It's a pretty I've read good some interview. really good articles from Hollywood Reporter. So, 
I'm sure they have some that are trash too, but um, the ones that I have read are really, really good. So, yeah. So that brings us to obviously Clyde Bruckman's end, which I mean, obviously brings up a lot of questions, at least for me, about like fate versus free will. Like, did Clyde end his life because he was tired of always seeing people's ends? Is it because that's the end he clearly saw for himself and he didn't think there was any other way? Did he plan it or feel like he couldn't escape it? You know, what was. Did he feel like his purpose was to help them find this killer and then that was it? Or had he already kind of planned this out and then that just happened to happen at the same time? So um, the article that I will link from The Hollywood Reporter is an interview with Darren Morgan. Like I said, he looks back 20 years after the fact and he says like he feels like the reasoning was really obvious, which at first I had to think about it a little bit, but I think it is actually pretty obvious. Like he doesn't state the reason, but I think the reason is just that Clyde was depressed and that's, you know, Sometimes people who are depressed do that and it's unfortunate and it's, you know, very sad, but it's just a thing that people, you know, there doesn't have to be a reason, right? Like not necessarily a reason. So, well, and also it's going to be obvious to him because he wrote it, right? right? Yes. And you can, I know I've written things where I think it's totally clear what I'm saying and Mm -hmm. people read it and they're like, um, I kind of don't understand what you're trying to say. And I'm like, it's obvious what I'm trying to say. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things. Well, in, so. in that interview, Darren Morgan talks about how he, and I have one of the books too. I can't remember exactly where he talks about this, but he was actually really depressed and he was struggling with suicidal ideation at the time that he wrote this. And so he was kind of working out some of his own demons and he actually intended this episode to be really dark and depressing, which I mean, yeah, has some moments, but it turned out being funny just because he can't, he can't turn that off. That's part of him that he has this sense of humor. And so it came out being like this kind of funny, irreverent episode with this just depressing ending. Whereas he originally was sat out to write like a really dark, depressing thing, which, you know, so that is part of why. Yeah. And you had mentioned earlier and at this point, I don't know, but I may or may not have cut that out of this episode. We were talking about the lettuce in the bag. Yes. And that there was a head in it. And you brought up the fact that it was supposed to be his head. And I did not realize that when I watched it. I just thought it was like, you know, because he sees dead people. Right. So it was just a head in a bag. So, yeah, I think it was him seeing his own future kind of. Yeah. So, again, I don't know if that's going to be in this episode. Tori and I discussing that early (laughs) and kind of spoiling things or if I'm going to cut it out. But we did talk about that. Yeah. So So a little bit of foreshadowing. So, again, it's like, did he see that? And, you know, did he see it because he had planned it? Did he see it because he saw it first? And that, you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of one of those things where, like, we're never going to get an answer. But I mean, I feel like that's also pretty realistic because if you're struggling with suicidal ideation, sometimes there aren't specific reasons and sometimes it just, you know that's what you do which is really sad and i keep saying that's really sad which everyone knows is really sad so i just don't need to keep saying that oh it's an uncomfortable topic so darren morgan actually when he wrote this episode his favorite episode was beyond the sea so he kind of used that episode as inspiration and like he wanted it to be a different kind of psychic ability than Boggs's apparent psychic ability in that episode. So yeah, that was kind of why Peter Boyle's psychic ability is so zeroed in, which I think is a really cool idea actually to have a psychic who their power is 
super real, but it's like so limited that you just see like how people die, but you can't really do anything to help them. And so I can see why like Scully says it takes the joy out of his life, but I mean, I can see why that would be incredibly depressing. Like everyone you meet, you can like see their end maybe. And like, you can't do anything to help them. And so I'm sure it would make you feel very helpless. Yeah. I mean, it does, it does spread a little bit in the episode. It does. Yeah. Um, he gets a little bit of the like touchy kind of like a touch things. I can't remember what you called it, what that's called. Psychomancy. Um, psychomancy gets a little bit of that. Um, he gets a little, I'm sure there's a name for this too. It's not really remote viewing, but like psychic GPS, he gets a little bit of that. Like, yeah, that's not really seeing how you die. That's seeing where your body is. Right. He seems to have some connection to like after they die, like if he really focuses in like where their body might be or something, which, yeah, yeah so it's a little it, bit. It does. So it does spread a little bit. He obviously gets he picks up something when the bellhop gives him his food. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's. Yeah. So it, it it's it. It's not as like bogs we talked about in that episode and beyond the sea. It just kind of like grab bag. Right. Of psychic abilities. They they keep it. He keeps it pretty tight. There's a there's a little spread here because they need it to work for the plot. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's pretty pretty straight on. Well, and it's also one of those things like you know just examining the episode. Like, is his psychic ability really that limited, or is it limited because he limits himself? You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't try to go outside those lines. So I mean, he does try mm-hmm. to go outside those lines with Mulder a little bit, but like. I mean, maybe he spent his whole life trying not to go outside those lines. And so he's kind of trained himself not to have those abilities or whatever. Yeah. So to lighten the mood a little bit, sort of, um, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you think his comment to Mulder in the car was him <laughs> ribbon Mulder? Or do you think he was actually giving him a hint? Um, I think he was just ribbing him. I think that Mulder wouldn't leave him alone. And so he's like, yeah, you know, the most embarrassing way to die is autoerotic asphyxiation or whatever, mm. or undignified. I, I think mean, we know, we know some of Mulder's tendencies. <laughs> so It's true. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. honestly, like if Mulder ended up dying that way, I would not be like, oh, that's super out of character. You know what I mean? But I, also, I feel like he encounters enough other danger and people wanting to kill him that there's probably more likely ways for him. Well, to sometimes die. you can embarrass people with the facts. It's true. So, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently Scully's going to live forever. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Maybe. And then Darren Morgan did win an Emmy for this episode. So. Do you know if Peter Boyle was nominated or won an Emmy for this episode? He was actually nominated for 10 Emmy nominations for Everybody Loves Raymond, but he did win one Emmy and that was for this episode. Oh, wow. So X-Files. it was the only one he actually won, too. Yeah, the only oh, one he wow. won. Okay. So, he, Oh, he was also nominated for The Midnight Caller and a couple other things. But yeah, okay. this I is the one watch, that he I used won. to watch that show, too. Yeah. I, do, I, wasn't, I wasn't in Everybody Loves Raymond. I saw some episodes, and I saw him. Yeah. He was, I mean, obviously, he was good in them. But I could see where you could be nominated and not win for that. Mm-hmm. But, like, this one, I'm kind of like, if Darren Morgan won an Emmy for this, like if Peter Boyle didn't, I would be like, okay, we need to go talk to the Emmy <laughs> nomination and awards board and like burn the place down because yeah. So. Yeah, no. So they both won an Emmy for this. So okay. hooray. Uh, I'd almost and, say if it's going to be, if it's going to be one of them and we need to flip it and make it. Yeah. Oh, Boyle for win. sure. No, Peter so, Boyle sells this episode. Yeah. Like I don't think it would have worked with a lesser talent. Like it would have been. Well, Bad. I don't like doing that because you never know. You can't prove a counterfactual. They would have to True. have got someone really good. Like, I'm not going to say that no one else couldn't have given it the oh, same yeah. thing. Yeah. But it's not, that's not to detract from anyone's ability. 
that's just to say like you don't know they could have got they well yeah they could have gotten yeah. someone really good yeah. but i mean they he does got darren mcgavin it. chris carter was apparently up his butt all the time trying to get him on the show yeah and darren mcgavin was like no 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 and then finally agreed i so. don't know that darren mcgavin would make a good clyde brockman i'm not saying no. he doesn't have the ability to do it it just doesn't seem like his yeah. It's not really his well, thing. Also, uh, your your knowledge of Darren McGavin's career is probably maybe not not that mine is super full, but maybe doesn't fit everything that he's done too. Well, it's true. I mean, I've only seen him as Kolchak, so yeah. I do have him sort of typecast, right? Like I have him typecast as Kolchak in my head. So, yeah. and I'm not saying he couldn't pull it off. He might have been amazing, but yeah. And if you guys caught that, Tori only knows Darren McGavin as Kolchek, which means she has not seen a Christmas story. I have not. No. So just be aware of that. <laughs> and that might be rectified in the future. Yeah. So yes. I think we've mentioned that before. But yeah. So we are watching things like Kolchek. And so yeah, on our Patreon. Yes, which you can sign up for. Which and actually talk about. Which actually dun 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 announcement announcement. You've probably already heard it because it's going to be in the feed before this episode, same day. But our Patreon actually opened today. You can sign oh, up for it. Yay! At Patreon.com/slash IWTRW. It's easier to type, but not as easy to say as I want to rewatch. But it is IWTRW. Yeah, so, it's not a link in the show notes. Acronym. So, and there's a link on our link tree, which is also in the show notes. You click on that, it's got links for all the stuff where you can subscribe to the episodes, where you can buy cool t shirts, and where you can join the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's talk about Colcheck and Scooby Doo and other X Files adjacent things. So, yeah. It's anyway, an X Files adjacent podcast. That was our little advertisement that we witched in there. Self promotion. Yeah win yes so ratings this episode's hard to rate because well i guess it's not hard to rate it's really good so i guess it's not hard to rate it's just yeah or you drop in the hot takes boom yeah hot take. it's not hard to rate it's just <laughs> no that's really a hot take i don't know i don't know how to talk i don't know how words work anyway so. <laughs> i mean it's just the ending's kind of a bummer right like it's a bummer but that's not well, that doesn't make it a bad story and things on just because it's a bummer i know it's a I good know. bummer it is a very good episode. It's a well it's very performed well bummer. It is. So I think I'm going to give says, this. It does on the tin. It does. I mean, for yeah, 100%. The title is Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. Like it was funny because after I started watching it, I saw that head in the bag of lettuce, and the rest of the episode just came flooding back to me. And so I was just like, oh, and I told Nick, man, I got super bummed out because now I know what's going to happen. And Nick's like, well, it's called Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. What did you think was going to happen? And I'm like, I know, but I'm still yeah. bummed about it. <laughs> Sometimes Tori just misses the obvious. I mean, not, I guess, I mean, I guess that was supposed to be his head in the bag. I missed that. So I didn't get yeah. that. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, it's sad, but it's super good. So I'm going to give this an eight. An eight. Yes, very good episode. And I think there's a oh, reason right. why it's one of those episodes that people still talk about. And then if you ask people the best X-Files episodes, this episode is generally on that list. So, okay. Well, so I didn't really, I didn't really complain a lot about this episode, which 
I guess makes sense because I'm giving it a nine. Oh, wow. And I'm kind of giving it a nine only because I am probably never going to give anything a 10. Oh, wow. So it was, it was really good when I watched it. And then when we were doing that last scene, like the fact that it did what it did to me made me realize that it did what it did to me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So it gets a nine. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it does. It tells a really good story and it's really fascinating. And it's one of those episodes where people keep talking about it because there are those little nuances of like, you know, what does it mean? Are you like, I mean, Mulder didn't get his throat slit. So like, does that mean that you can change or did he not see that? And like, you know what I mean? Like, so I'm telling you that was Chris Carter messing up the episode. I mean, he wasn't involved. I mean, he was He's involved. Executive producer. Chris Carter's always involved. But like, right. I mean, I don't know. Was that in the script? We don't know. So anyway, it's just, it's just fascinating. And then like, is Khalil or, or was he joking? I mean, there's just little bits and pieces that keep coming back. And so I think it's just, well, it's got a lot going for it. It's very well done. So yay. Oh my gosh. I think it's the first time you've rated an episode higher than me. Is it? No. No, it's not. not I the have the first time. Um, I wa- not, not that this is like the bar we should be going with, but I did rate gender bender higher than you. Yes. Yeah. And I think I rated, I think there were a couple I, I think it was one or two other ones that I rated higher than you. Yeah. I think, oh, I think true. I rated, I know I rated um, the Honda Verlet higher than you. Oh yes, you did. Yeah. 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 So, no, it's happening. Die hand, die Verlet. I keep that second, that second one always turn it into a dur. I know. Dur. I do the same thing. Yeah. Or actually, I always start with Dur. I'm always like Durhan, Durverlitz. Yeah. It's not it. Dahan, it's, it's just, it's like Dahan, Diverlitz. I mean, I guess it's German, right? It's supposed to not flow out of your mouth. But like, it just, <laughs> Dahan, Diverlitz just doesn't come. Although that one went kind of good. I don't know. I don't speak German. I don't speak German either. You should listen to that podcast too, because it's pretty good. Um, Is there a podcast called I Don't Speak German? Yeah. It's about Nazis. Oh, okay and the far right and the intellectual dark web and so yeah that does sound interesting kind of kind of like an infra it's not really about it it's like an informational podcast it's like letting you know what's going on right yeah obviously what's going on and yeah yeah not that like nick is listening to like oh yay nazis nick would not do that no (laughs) yeah Awesome. Well, I'm glad you liked this episode because I was worried because there are a lot of jokes. No, I think that maybe even like explains like I guess that's why it can't be in ten, right? Because like the some of the joke, some of the jokes. So behind the scenes, look, people. Tori left some of the jokes out of the script, and I put some of them back in. So some of them I liked, some of them I didn't. I guess that's how comedy works, right? They can't all be winners. Mm-hmm. so but the fact that yeah i did have some i did have some issues with some of them is why it can never be a 10 we do put our ratings as a point zero, but i think way back when we kind of discussed that we weren't going to do halves because it just got too complicated yeah so, i think we started with halves and then we kind of stopped doing that and we stopped so. it kind of changed everything yeah so i mean if we were doing halves maybe nine and a half maybe maybe oh, maybe wow. i don't know i here's the thing though this is this is where it gets weird I don't know that I would still say this is my favorite episode of the X-Files because the fact that this is an X-Files episode is almost a sidebar to how good the episode is. Because honestly, it's not 
really, I mean, we've talked about this before, it's not really an X-File. Like, they're not necessarily all X-Files. I mean, the fact that the subject matter we're dealing with with psychic phenomena is uh-huh. does make it an X-File, but, like, none of that is part of the why they become involved. It's almost like they become involved, although we don't get to see the file they wrote, so maybe it did mention that. We don't know. But at least for their initial entry into this, it doesn't seem like there's actually like an X Files route into so the case. I would say that they probably got involved, and this is my guess. Obviously, we'll never know because it's not part of the show. I would guess Mulder wanted to get involved because it's someone killing prognosticators or fortune tellers, and so I'm yeah, sure he thought but, that was interesting. But you're right; like in terms of X File or not, like it is just some homicidal maniac killing people. Yeah, and it's so, just like. I mean, and this is no like it's a serial murder, right? Mm-hmm. And so they have gotten involved in serial murders and then found out that they had like an X file component. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like a convenience X file, right? Like it didn't start out that way. I think this would maybe be that way, but yes, I could see where Mulder's like, oh, but they're killing, you know, psychic supposed psychics, right? And so right, so he wants again, to I don't get know if that involved. That makes it X file. That just makes it. That's his mo. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe Skinner assigned them the case because it's a serial killing and he wanted you know them to do a profile because we know they worked. Well, and profile. let's not forget about Mulder's expertise outside the X-Files, right? Like, yes, that no, he's is a profiler. His, yeah, that is his thing, right? He that's where he that's where he got his dun da da da, you know, with the book, well, not book, but whatever it was he wrote his thesis or report or whatever it was. So, yeah, yeah. And they do start with a profile, so they clearly, that's part of why they're there for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. I have a question for you. Sure. You would know more about this than I do. Like in movies and television, we get lots of serial killers who have like themes, right? Right. And, you know, like seven or, you know, and they're, and often they're very complicated or like, even like in three, right. Where, I mean, that's technically not a serial killer. It's vampires, but like where it's super complicated, like all the murders, like it's the father, the son <laughs> and the spirit. Right. And that kind of thing. Yeah. It um, has to follow a weird pattern. Yeah. yeah. Is that, is that a thing? It doesn't so, seem like that's a thing in real life. Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think. I mean, there have been cases I'm sure where somebody's like, but for the most part, it's like a type of victim, and usually there's a reason for that. Like, you know, right. John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer targeted like gay young men. Yeah, you're targeting and, you know, like Bundy targeted, you know, yeah. Women who had their hair parted, and like who even knows if the hair was a thing or if it was just a coincidence because every woman had that haircut. You know what I mean? He was targeting vulnerable, opportunistic women. Um, and sometimes young children, like like little girls. So, like, yeah, I don't know. Which you don't hear about Bundy as much, but yeah, that's there's some. Oh, it's all gross. Anyway, he was the one that I wasn't sure. And like, um, the son of Sam. Yeah, that, I'm not as familiar with either Ted Bundy or Son of Sam murders, so I don't know if they had like a like, you know, link that was super strong, or if it was just they were just serial killers. I don't know. Yeah, I think they're just serial killers, and I don't think okay. their victims really fit. Like, I'm sure the victims fit a profile of some kind, but it's not like. I'm going to kill pizza delivery people or I'm going to kill, you know, fortune tellers. I don't think there's a lot of that going on because I think it just traveling the country, murdering like checkout girls at Safeway with a certain. Yeah. I mean, it's usually sex workers because, and that's not because 
they're sex workers necessarily. It's because they're easy targets, right? They're easy like, targets, and also people don't seem to care. And police don't care as much because yeah. police are not good. Yeah, uh, vulnerable <laughs> minorities, right? And then exactly. People on the fringes that that society, society isn't gonna has disregarded as much. Quote yeah. unquote. Yeah, I don't know okay. of any. I mean, it might have happened. As I'm sure, at one point there was one killer somewhere who was like, "I'm gonna target just people who." work at movie theaters and smell like popcorn or whatever, you know, I'm sure. But like, I don't think it's super common or like everybody had a red shirt or right. You know, it's, I mean, maybe depending on if there's some kind of star Trek serial killer delusion involved or something, you know, who knows, but yeah, as far as I know, that's not typical. Okay. That's what I thought. But like I said, I'm not as familiar with a lot of it. And I know like people talk a lot about like the son of Sam and they talk a lot about Ted Bundy. And I was like, was, was there like really like a, like, target or was it more of just like opportunity and yeah that kind of thing so yeah i think for the most part it just tends to be opportunity and it just tends to be the same type of person because that's the opportunity that person finds as far as sex workers and that kind of yeah like gary ridgeway killed mostly sex workers and that's because i think honestly i I don't again i don't know but it sounds like most of the serial killers that i know stories of it's almost always sex workers it's not but it's common and again because people you know, society isn't throwing up their arms going, oh, how dare you? You know, yeah. people think that. By the people, always, I meant the ones that I'm aware of. Not yes. Yeah, no, for right, sure. Yeah, so. so, yeah, not super common. I've never heard of a killer who like targeted psychics or anything, but it's it's a very okay. TV. I was just wondering because it's like, it's, yeah, so you hear you know, like there's movies about that and there's TV shows about it. And so yeah. it just always seemed but I, I, I just never I, I was trying to think of one. And this made me think about it because like this obviously is a very specific target kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like, is that, is, that, is, that, is that just TV? So, well, and it's funny because like the killer in this has some psychic ability, apparently, or believes he does. And then is going to psychics trying to figure out why he's killing. And then he's killing the psychics. And so clearly, I mean, there's something. And as you know, Clyde Bruckman tells him, no, you're just a screwed up killer. Like, that's it. There's nothing special about you, you know? And so, like, I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting twist on that, too. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Clyde Bruckman's final repose. It was. Yeah. Man, that hit me harder than I thought it was going to hit me. Yeah, anyway. I mean, it's rough, right? Because it's, you know, yeah. like he won. He beat the killer and then he's yeah. still. Well, <sighs> I mean, but sometimes the killer is inside you. I know. And like, you know, so. I mean, I have to say like suicidal ideation is not something that I personally have ever experienced. So I can't really understand that kind of thinking. Like it really is something that I struggle to understand because like I've never had that yeah but like i you know i've read a lot about it i've had a lot of friends who have dealt with it and you know i just because i have yeah um yeah and i know a lot of people who have and so it's just something that like it's yeah it's hard because like it's like you want to help your friends and you're like i don't even understand why you're there but like you know it's really hard because it's like you want to help them you want to make them you know but like it's just I mean, that's what mental illness is, right? Like mental illness is yeah. not always logical well, and it's not, totally. and I have my own mental illnesses and sometimes it's not logical for me to lock my door three times or like run upstairs to make sure I unplugged my toaster, even though I haven't made toast in two days, you know, like those things are not logical. It's just, that's how my brain works. And so like, I understand that. And I'm not saying that, like, I don't get it. I just like, it's not something I personally experienced. So for me, it's just not something that like, 
Yeah, I can one necessarily hard, always wrap my head around one of the one of the issues. I mean, is that when you're in when you're in that moment, your brain is not working the way it should be. Right. And so it's very easy to say, like, you know what? This moment is going to pass. Things are going to get better. Um, and you can think that when you're not in that moment. Right. But when you get in that moment, it's really hard to think that way because your your brain is not working. Right. The way it's supposed to. Yeah. So. And so it's telling you all these things aren't true. And, you know, it does. And I understand, like, I've had a lot of friends who've gone through that and who've, you know, written about it or talked about it. And, you know, how, like, when you're in that moment, it really does feel like the only or the best option because it just everything tells you, like, yes, do that. That's every, that's yeah. what it is. And, like, you know, it's like, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. So, yeah. Yeah. Not to end on a super downer, but <laughs> um, just, I'm not an expert, but, um, I'm here talking to you because my attempt failed. Mm. So, um, thankfully, yeah. So, so yeah. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your day. And <laughs> if you have, if you need to talk to someone, there are people you can talk to. So. There are, yeah. And, yep. oh, it's rough. It's rough. All righty. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy End Productions. That's right, we made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 5, The List. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is still, still out there. there. Is this one going to be about Santa Claus? Yes. Cool. The truth is what we make of it. Santa the list oh god I was like wait what why are you talking about Santa I do not understand it's a list because then I was like Ed Asner but Peter Boyle's not Ed Asner and I was like what are we talking about my brain no. went weird places the list. yeah no, no it's that's, the staying, list. that's staying in boom that's staying <laughs> in for sure all right see this is and like this is the problem is I take things literally like I totally literally <laughs> thought Mulder was reading tea leaves I do I do that sometimes my brain does not connect it <laughs> which is hilarious because I am not a literal you know like I'm very I tend to be incredibly sarcastic. So it's just sometimes like my brain doesn't click that way. It goes, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally seeing you literally. He was do playing. Things. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, you're just, probably right. It's just my brain literally went. And he was playing at super low key, but I like, because any other explanation for that 
just impl- I mean, not that Mulder, I mean, Mulder does believe in psychic phenomena, but even if he does, then he either has to be able to read tea leaves themselves or he has to be able to know what she was thinking. Right. Which, which you could those done. Are yeah. going to be something that happens. So. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Sometimes, again, my brain works in different ways. Everyone but says. Who knows? Everyone's does. 